Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Well, the skits, the monologues, all the stuff that River Valley Ranch does, it never ceases to amaze me. It's always something that really strikes home in my heart. Um, So hopefully you got a lot of the symbolism that was in there and maybe some of the references that they were throwing out that were straight from Scripture, uh, that the bride is us, not you individually, us as a church. And uh, sometimes we can lose sight of what he's called us to be. And uh, much like the lady we've been talking about, Gomer, and how she has lost sight of this, and we read quite a bit this morning from chapter 2 about how God outlined what should happen and what should happen to us. It's a, it's a clear picture of what should happen to us with what Jesus went through. Everything that happened on the cross should have happened to me. It should have happened to you. Now, there was never a punishment outlined in the Garden of Eden of, oh yeah, you'll have to die on a cross if you touch this fruit. Death was the measure, but in order to pay for our sins, Jesus took all of our sins on him so that we could be free. And we're going to talk about that tonight. So right before we do, if you happen to have an animal head on, maybe remove that for a second just for my own sake, because I won't be able to concentrate because you look too awesome. It'll totally distract me. But let's go ahead and pray and, uh, and get started. God, I thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I thank you for the symbolism and the picture that we just saw through this, this monologue that was done, Lord, between you and your bride, the church, God. And I pray right now that you would speak to us as we look at the rest of chapter 2 of Hosea tonight, that you would give us a clear picture of what you want for your body, the church. In Jesus' name, amen. We left off in verse 13. Everything was bad. Everything was bad. Jesus is like, all right, this is what's going to happen. Boom, boom, boom. Then, Then verse 14 comes. Therefore, this is God's plan after all that. This is what you deserve, Israel. This is what you deserve, people, all right? Nate, this is what you deserve. He says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. You see, allure, like lure is the root word of allure. It's like to attract, to bring somebody in. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. I will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days that she came up out of Egypt. He makes that parallel again that, you know what? You used to be in slavery, and I pulled you out. I'm going to pull you out of slavery to idols now. He can pull us out of slavery to all the things that I had this morning on those water bottles. And there could have been probably 50 water bottles we could have had there with all kinds of different things on them. There may have been something, video games. I mean, things that are good. It's not all bad things, not all sins. Some of those things like making good grades. Please don't go home and tell your mom, the speaker told me I shouldn't drink alcohol, have sex, or get A's. You know, they know that's not what I was teaching you at all, all right? Uh, But anything, any good, even a good thing that we make an ultimate thing then becomes a bad thing. It becomes an idol. It becomes something that we lift up. And he pulls us out of that like he did the Israelites out of Egypt. Then he says in verse 16, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. 
when we truly get who Jesus is, when we truly get who God is, we realize that it's not about just doing things for him, it's about actually knowing him. Yes? I have no idea. It's probably a typo on my part because I'm not perfect. Like the ruler, remember that? Anyways, okay, it's not Hosea 1-2. Totally disregard that. If you're following along, we're in Hosea 2, and we're now in verse 16. Thank you for catching that, though, all right? Because um, the editors didn't catch it. There's too many typos on my part for them to catch them all. So, okay, so follow along. And that day declares the Lord, you will call me husband. You will no longer call me my master. God wants us to get to the point where we're not trying to do good and be better, but we're trying to know him more and know him better. When you know God better, when you know Jesus more and more each day, it changes you. It changes you from the inside out. We don't like, you know what, God, I'll come to you. You know when she said, let me clean myself up. I'll come to you when I can get clean and everything. He already purchased the price to do that for us. He already gave us this gift that starts going to work on us, making us new. All right, let's keep going there. Verse 17, I will remove the name of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. That's one of those idols we talked about again. So you can put in whatever you put over God sometimes. He says, yeah, you, that's not going to be the thing that's your, your, your pursuit anymore. It's going to be me. I'm going to take that off your lips. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. The betrothal is so much deeper than the word engaged. All right, when it says like Joseph was betrothed to Mary, you know, in the Bible, and uh, you're like, okay, I guess that means engaged. And some translations will just throw in engaged because we don't say betrothed anymore. We don't say betrothed anymore because we probably weren't betrothed before we got married. Those of us that are married in the room, we got engaged. We, we did this by a different custom. Betrothal was such, such a like deep word that if you got betrothed to somebody, if you wanted to break off that engagement, you had to get a certificate of divorce. Imagine having divorced somebody that you're going out with. You know, you're not like, oh, I think we should see other people. You're like, I got an attorney. You know, like, and I get half your stuff, all right? I mean, like, it was a serious, serious thing. He's like, look, this promised wedding one day, it's not like an engagement. It's a betrothal. You're mine, and I'm yours. This is what I'm giving to you. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice. Righteousness is right living. And justice is God always doing the right thing. And in love and in compassion, I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. And that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies. They will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and the olive oil. They will respond to Jezreel. Remember the scattered ones? I will plant for her myself in the land, and I will show my love to the one called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And then they will say to me, you are my God. 
We come full circle from that object lesson of Hosea naming his kids. Oh, let me introduce you to my kids. Scattered, not loved, not my people. I mean, like, that's just weird. I mean, because names back then, they named people based on what they either felt God was telling them to name them, or they would name them based on like traits that they believed that their kids would have. And then people like own those traits forever. It's like, if somebody names you not loved in advance, you know Christmas is going to be skimpy, right? Like, yeah. what are we going to get not loved? <laughs> not much. <laughs> oh, no, not much as the other kid. Sorry, because he's not much to look at. Anyway, I mean, I, that, would be, that would just be weird. Speaking of Christmas, we just finished Christmas. I hope you didn't forget it, and I hope it was really good and stuff. But I have a Christmas bag here only because they were out around the house so I could see them. Uh, but what God gives to us is a gift. A lot of times we call this gift the gift of salvation. It's that starting point of developing a relationship with God, but it's not really a gift of salvation. That's not all it is. I loved in this monologue up here too where he said, you remember when I ripped your veil? And if you're not really familiar with a lot of stuff surrounding the crucifixion, you might be like, what? Why would you rip a bride's veil? Wouldn't she get angry? No, the veil that he ripped, and it was very symbolic, was this huge piece of fabric 30 feet high, thick too, that nobody was allowed to go behind except the high priest once a year. He would go behind there and he would atone and beg God for mercy on all of the people. Nobody else could go in there and he could only go in there once a year and they had to follow all these little rules. That's what ripped. That thing that was keeping, it represented sin, that no one could come before the Father because of it. And there was an earthquake when Jesus died on the cross. And earthquakes don't rip veils, by the way, like thick curtains. But God did, from the top to the bottom, so nobody would mistake it for a person. I'm tall, but 30 feet, that's, that's the God thing. All right, so God just rips it to let the people know you don't have to come through a priest. You don't have to come through your youth pastor, the senior pastor at your church, your godly grandmother. You don't have to come through. You can just pray to God. You can talk to God on your own. That's the gift that he gives us. When he said it is finished, the gift was prepared. But it's not like a normal gift. Normally you open a gift and you've got the gift, right? You pull out the tissue paper out of the bag or you rip open the box and and you take all of the wrapping paper off, and that's the coolest part when you're a toddler, and that's the thing where you play it the rest of the day. We're like, no, that was expensive. We're like, ah, you know. They eat the bows and chew on the toilet, not toilet paper. <laughs> Who wraps my gifts? Anyways, and they play in the boxes, try to crawl in them and stuff. And really, honestly, that's really all you need to get kids, and they won't even know. Anyways, but um, younger kids. But sometimes you open a box or a bag, and there's more boxes or bags in it. A lot of times that means it's a joke, but this doesn't mean it's a joke. And I'm gonna pull out some things that are in here that are part of this salvation gift. Different aspects to this gift that sometimes if we, if we forget that these elements are there or we've only pulled one out of the box and set it there and we don't realize there's more, you're missing out. Have you ever given a gift? Just by a show of hands, you've given a gift to somebody, you had multiple things in the bag or box and they pulled out the first one and you're like, hey, there's more. You ever done that? Like you had more tissue paper and you had another gift they hadn't revealed yet. It's light as a feather, like a t-shirt or something. Yeah, I've done that too. And like sometimes they pull out like the, the one that's not good first. <laughs> like they just pull out like the little thing. They're like, oh, thanks. You're like, no, there's more in there. There's something really cool in the bottom of the bag that you have to pull out in order to get 
what I've got. That's like the gift of salvation, the gift of that relationship with Jesus Christ. There's other things. Now, these boxes are all different sizes, and you're going to be like, hmm, what's the meaning behind that? Nothing. I couldn't find boxes that were all the same size. Okay. That's, there's really no rhyme or reason to the size of these boxes. If you're like, ooh, that's a real theological statement you're making there, Nate. You really think that one is bigger than, no, it's just a different size box. Get over it. Okay. So the first box that we pull out, and I'm not going to actually literally open it up because there's nothing really in here, but what Jesus gives us first, if we give our life to him, we turn from our sins and say, hey, I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. I want you to be. And a lot of you in this room have probably made that decision. Hopefully, the majority of us have made that decision. Maybe you haven't. You're like, what, what are you talking about? I don't remember doing that or isn't going to church enough. Going to church doesn't make somebody a follower of Jesus any more than like working at Chick-fil-A makes them a follower of Jesus. So I'm just saying, you would think that would do it at least. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, but like, you can't just sit in a garage and become a car. So that's not the way it works. If you give your life to Jesus, you're like, you know what? I don't want to follow my sin. I don't want to be in charge anymore. I want you to be in charge. We start off with the first gift of salvation in here. They're all for you. But sometimes people pull out the first one and they, they, they embrace that one and they kind of like, yeah, I'm good. It's justification. That's a big word. And we're going to break it down for a second. Justification. See, we're guilty before we come to Jesus we're guilty before we come to Jesus, so we have to be justified. So here's how you break down the word justified. It's just if I'd never sinned. That's justification. It's as if I never sinned. God takes away all of that and says, yeah, there's actually, when we look at your sin level, it's empty. There's nothing. I've covered it all. We're going to start from scratch here. And a lot of people run with this, and that's all they embrace about the Christian life. So people are like, hey, have you ever made a decision to follow Jesus Christ? And they say, yeah, I've done that. I'm good. I'm good. They, it's like they got some kind of get out of hell free card or some life insurance policy, and they're good just in case something happens. If Jesus comes back or I happen to die, I'll be in heaven. And they embrace this like, it's, like this is the be-all, end-all of what Jesus died for. Jesus did not die so that we could all just go to heaven with him. That's a strong statement. Think about that for a second. He didn't die so we could all go to heaven. He died to have a relationship with you. That relationship with you will extend into heaven, but it starts here. That's what he always wanted. That's what he created us for, was to have a relationship. So if we're like, whoa, I get to go to heaven. There's no sin in my box anymore. Good, thanks for the gift, Jesus. And he's like, wait, there's so much more in this bag here. This gift is not done. You've got to get the rest of it out of there. You see, when you really embrace who you are, not just that it's justified, never sinned, and, I'm, and now I'm considered not guilty, that's different. If I go into a courtroom, and the judge says, hey, you're not guilty, but I'm still like viewing myself as an orphan with no home. I don't have any family. I don't have any of that, but they just made my record clean. I need more than that. And so God says, not only are you not guilty, not only are you going to have justification, you're going to have adoption. I'm going to bring you into my family. And if we don't embrace that second part, we're just like, yeah, yeah, God is, uh, Jesus paid for my sins. And so Jesus paid for my sins. So I'm, I'm good. And we don't embrace, <coughs> excuse me, we don't embrace the fact, let me get to this water, that we are adopted into God's family, we miss out on a whole lot of it. 
Uh, don't get me wrong. If you haven't embraced or understood that you're a part of God's family, but you've given your life to Jesus to turn from your sins, you still have salvation. You're just not experiencing everything God wants you to experience. He wants you to know that you're adopted into his family. I was teaching a class in a Christian school called Biblical Worldview, and a girl came in one day, and she was like, you know what? I don't like the King James version of the Bible. I like the NIV, and I don't really care which version she uses. Anyways, I'm not one of those people who are like, yeah, this one's better, that one's better. But she was like, I was like, well, what, what, is, what is the hangup? She was like, I was just reading this passage the other day, and because uh, her family uses King James more than anything else. She was like, it made me mad, so I looked at another translation, then I was all right with it. I was like, well, what did it say that made you so mad? It's, it's, she said, it was clearly talking about men and women in the passage. And then it says, if we're in Christ, then we are heirs. You know, an heir is somebody who gets the dad or mom stuff when they die, right? We become heirs. And it says, we are therefore sons. And if sons, then we're heirs. And she was like, that's messed up. Why didn't they say sons and daughters? Why didn't they just say children? And she was, anyway, she was really livid. I was like, all right, Alyssa, uh, what did it say in the other version? She's like, it says children. She's like, I was okay with that, but why do they got to be so sexist, okay? I was like, here, let me help you out here. In the ancient cultures, and girls, think about this for a second. In ancient cultures, if a king, ancient cultures, we're not talking about fairy tales, like ancient cultures, if a king had a daughter and he never had any sons, but he had... Um, a nephew, a third cousin twice removed, who happened to be male or whatever, when he dies, the princess does not become the queen in almost every ancient culture. She does not become the one in charge of the kingdom. She gets to live in the palace the rest of her life, and the third cousin twice removed rules. That's how it was, as messed up as it is, and yes, that's sexist. As messed up as it is, that's how all, all the ancient cultures worked for the most part. Few exceptions here and there through history, but not many. So what God was saying in the original language, in the Greek there, was scandalous. That actually is still in the King James and some other ones. He was saying, look, girls, you're not just children with the rights of children of the king. Like, girls, you got the rights of being a princess. The guys got the rights of being a prince. He's like, no, 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 it's better than that. Even though you're girls... You have the rights of sons. Because if you're sons, you're heirs. Back then, if you weren't sons, you weren't heirs. If you weren't the firstborn son, you weren't even an heir. Like secondborn sons, you might as well have been a girl. I mean, like, it didn't matter in the ancient culture, right? So God was saying level playing field, completely unsexist. Whether you're a girl or a guy, whether you're, uh, no matter what race you are, ethnicity, no matter where you came from, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. If you're in me, you get everything. You have the rights to my kingdom. There's a neighbor kid that like walks into our house, just like comes in and walks in. And I allow it because he's with my son. Even though my son might be upstairs, like he's going to, Luke here? Yeah, go on up. If he didn't know my son or he wasn't friends with my son or he was a bully to my son, I'd call the police, tell them to get out of the house, whatever. You know, like, I mean, I would, I would try to figure out some way to, like, you can't come in. Because we're friends with God's son, we get in and we become adopted into the family as well. We go from justification 
to adoption, but there's more. There's more. There's this thing called sanctification. I could probably put another box in here called glorification, but you don't get that till you die. That's when you get a new body, and uh, so you can't really open that one on earth anyway. But anyways, so sanctification. You got this box of sanctification. Sanctification means to be made holy or to set apart. In other words, God loves you the way, he, the, the way you are, and he took the sin away, and he's like, yeah, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He starts to make you holy. Now, there's two gifts inside this one. Two gifts. And when you guys get into your small groups tonight, you're going to look at the scripture backing up all of these gifts. You're going to look at where this is found in scripture. So it's not just some random thing I'm making up. You're going to go through the scriptures and ask some questions about those things, about justification and about adoption and about these two types of sanctification that exist here. But there are two boxes in here. Two boxes. The very first one is, for sanctification is called positional sanctification. And here's the thing. It's the position that you are now in. You, God changes everything for you. He basically puts on some glasses and sees you differently. He doesn't see you as a, a dirty, rotten sinner who's separate from him. He sees you as clean even though we still mess up. This is where a lot of Christians stop. Some of them stop right here, and they never really get to experience the full love and compassion of Jesus because they don't realize and embrace that they're part of his family. A lot of them stop here, and they're like, yeah, well, God's my father and everything, and you know, only God can judge me. They have the t-shirt and everything, and they just don't do anything. And they don't look any different from the rest of the world. And so just like the bride over here who was supposed to bring others to the wedding, they never put out an invitation. But God still looks at us because of justification. This part of sanctification, your position in Christ is that you are clean. He sees you as clean, even though we mess up. Now, if I paid all of your debt, say you owed like 500 bucks to a bunch of people you... you uh, borrowed money from and everything else. You owed 500 bucks. And I pay that for you. You are now debt free. But it doesn't mean that you're going to know how to handle money, right? You might rack up some more debt after that. So even though God sees you as clean, God sees you as having no debts, it doesn't mean that we're starting to look like Jesus yet until we have progressive sanctification, which means that we're slowly becoming more and more like God. I got Plato in here because God doesn't leave you the way he finds you as some little, little, little thing. I don't even know what it's shaped like in the can. Can-shaped Plato. He takes it out and he starts to mold you and conforms you into the image of his son. He takes you and starts to make you more and more like Jesus so that when people see you and people see the way that you act, the way that you live, the way that you love, other people, they're drawn to him. That's his desire for you. And sadly, there are so many believers in Jesus who have been set free from their sin, who recognize that God is their father and they're, they're in this family, and who even know that God doesn't see them as sinful anymore and they're okay with that. Now, if you never embrace progressive sanctification, you're like, God, I want to be more and more like you each day, more like you this week than last week, more like you this year than last year. Uh, whether you embrace that or not has nothing to do with your standing with God because he sees you as holy and he's already paid for everything. 
that make sense? But he died to do so much more than for you to pull one gift out of the bag or even two gifts out of the bag or even three and then not open it up to see what's in it. He died so that your life, that relationship he starts with you, would be such a close relationship that other people would want that relationship with Jesus too. That's what he offers to each one of us. And I know I've, I've talked to leaders in here from your church and everything. All churches do things differently. And I know you guys don't typically do invitation type stuff at your church. I get that. So I want to be very abundantly clear with what we're about to do so that you understand what I'm asking and what, what I'm offering, okay? Because a lot of times you, you're not used to this and somebody says, hey, who wants to give their life to Jesus? And everybody's like, me! And then you have like the whole room and maybe you've already made that decision but God's tugging at your heart for a different reason. You've already said, hey, I'm not gonna be my, oh, I'm dropping that thing. Um, I'm not gonna be my own God. I'm not gonna be in charge of something, of my own life. I'm giving that to Jesus. You've already done that, and because of that, you have his gift of salvation. You've been justified. It's just if you'd never sinned. But the thing that God's talking to you about and working on your heart right now is this part. He's saying, yeah, but you haven't really been giving more and more of yourself over to me where I can make you look like my son, where I can mold you and conform you to be the image of my son. So when I ask you in just a few moments, we talk about what God might be asking you to do. Maybe he's asking you to do none of the above, but if he's saying, yeah, there's a couple areas in your life that I would like to be more like Jesus, then that is not the same as, hey, let me give my life to Jesus again. You don't have to do that. If you've given your life to Jesus, he's keeping his promise, his end of the deal. He's given you that ring. He's given you the Holy Spirit to stay with you. So this is going to be like a twofold thing. One is so that we can help people who may not have made this decision in the first place. They've never even taken this bag at all. Nothing. They've not been freed from their sins. You've never stepped into a relationship with God. I want to be able to help you find who he is if that's you. But for other people in here who probably most of us struggle with this last one here. God sees us as holy. He's counted us as holy. Jesus has already done all this. We've, we've surrendered to that. But we just kind of pull back. We go back to some of those original thirsts and stuff. We're using a different measurement than we should instead of God's holy will and his word. And because of that, we're struggling with this. And I'm going to, the second part of what we're going to do is for you. If there's something that you need to give over to God or you, you need to surrender to more of what God wants to do in your life, I'm going to ask, not yet, but later, that you guys and girls, if that's you and you're like, that's it, that's me, I'm struggling with that last one, the Plato one, the progressive sanctification, allowing God to continue making me more and more like him. That's the one I'm struggling. I'm gonna ask those people to stand up just so I can pray for you. Just so I can pray. We're not gonna like fill up the altar or anything like that. Just so I can pray for you and so your peers can see, hey, they're making that decision too. Maybe we can talk about that. That's one of my friends over there standing there or right beside me. Um, let's keep each other accountable. Let's ask, how are, you, how are you doing with the commitment that you made at Winter Meltdown? Okay, so the reason I'm telling you I'm doing two is because I don't want God, if God is tugging at your heart here about this, I don't want you to think, oh no, um, Nate's only gonna ask this one thing, so I better stand the first time and really confuse my leaders and everybody else who have known me 
I've given my life to Jesus two years ago, three years ago, two weeks ago, whatever it is. They know I'm a believer, but I just want to make some sort of decision and God's tugging in my heart. So if, if you're hearing that, the second part of what we're going to do is for you. If you've already given your life to Jesus, you had this bag at all, then the second part is going to be for you. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to be very clear about this next part of what we're doing. If you are here today, and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never turned from your sins, you've never even stepped into this gift at all. This isn't, it's like kind of foreign to you. You're like, you've heard other people have done it, um, but looking back, you'd say, you know what, I, I've not done that. I don't have a relationship with God. I like the idea of God. I come to Christian things. I, I, um, I go to church. I really thought doing good and going to church was going to do that for me. But I've learned this week. I've learned this weekend that it's not just that. I have to accept what Jesus did on the cross for me in my place and that he rose from the dead to forgive me of my sins and to give me a hope that is eternal and a friendship that starts right now. And I've not done that, Nate. And I want every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm seeing a lot of eyeballs, all right? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you and you'd say, you know what? When I'm thinking about that bag on the stage here, I've never even accepted that. I've not started a relationship with Christ. If that's you and only you, you might be the only person in here, that's totally fine, then this message was for you. This part of the message was for you if that's the case. If you'd say, I've not done that, I've not given my life to Christ, I've not turned from my sins, and I would like to do that tonight. I simply want you to make eye contact with me and don't look back down. You don't need to look up to see who's looking, all right? But if that's you and you'd say, that's me, I've, ne I've never done that, and I would like to do that. I don't want to leave here not knowing Jesus. I want to start that relationship with him. If that's you, just look me in the eye, and I will wait just a second so I can see if anybody's looking. I see you. And right here, awesome, and right there. I see you right here, dude. And there's like four or five of you. And there's a chance that you might have looked and I didn't see you for some reason. The lights in my face or something like that. That's okay. I see you right back there. That's okay. God still saw you. And way back there, dude. Okay, so there's probably like seven of you-ish. I'm going to ask something of, the, of those of you sitting who are looking at me. I want to just look back. Keep looking at me if that's you. Keep looking. All right? Because I want to talk to you for just a second. What you're about to do will change everything if you keep continue to open up all the presents in the bag. It'll change everything. It changes who you are. It pays for your sins. And he starts to make you new. As you allow him to do that, he'll start to change things in your life. And what you're saying, hopefully, and you can nod with me if this is what you're saying, is I've never done that. Is that what you're saying, those of you looking at me? Have you... You've never done this before? All right, I see the heads nodding. And you want to make sure tonight, this is what one family is all about. You don't just get a new father tonight. You get a whole lot of brothers and sisters. That's what's really cool about it. It's not about saying words in a particular order either. My pastor led somebody to Christ the other day who just said, 
after he heard the gospel, he said, I'm confessing to you and you, the two people at the table, that Jesus is my Lord. He was like, is that what I need to do? And my pastor was like, yeah, absolutely, that you're in. You know, like that's the whole point of it. It's turning from our sins and confessing Jesus as Lord. So I'm gonna ask you if that's you. In just a moment, I'm gonna count to three. There's nothing special about three either. There's nothing special about saying certain words in a certain order. It's all about the attitude of your heart. There's nothing special about three except it's just kind of a launch point that if you're serious about it, you've not done it. You've never given your life to Christ and you want to turn your sins over to him and start this relationship with him that you would just simply stand to your feet when I say three. It's very simple. We're going to celebrate with you in a little bit. That's if that's, well, even if it's not cool, we're going to do that because I think if people see you, they can help keep you accountable and your leaders can help keep you accountable as well. But right for, for right now, everybody else is going to keep their eyes closed. So on the count of three, if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. One, two, three. Stand to your feet if that's you. That may be too much for you. You might be like, I didn't mind looking at you, but I'm not going to do that. It's probably an indication of whether you're ready to give it all or not. That's okay. Okay, there's several of you guys standing. I think there's like seven of you. So you guys stand and look at me. Right here, dude. Right here. Young ladies and young man back there. You understand that from here on out, it's all about him, right? You get it? This is, this is the moment that changed my life at a camp. And it wasn't during one of these sessions. It was in my bed at night, crying my eyes out. So it doesn't have to be in a church setting. It doesn't have to be like, you, you might have thought, I'm going to wait till Saturday night. We've been hearing the God. You don't have to do that. It's all about the attitude of your heart. So right where you're at, right where you guys are, I just simply want you to close your eyes to block out distractions Again, you may have heard somebody else say this in a completely different order. You may have read it somewhere. Here's how you can pray to receive Christ or whatever. But it's all about your conversation with God. I'm going to ask that you say something like this to God. I'm not going to lead you in specific words. But tell God that he can have your sins. He already paid for them anyway. And that you want to follow him for the rest of your life. In your own words. Something like that. I'm going to give you like just about 30 seconds right there just to communicate that to God in the silence of your heart. Because I don't want you to just echo what I say. I want it to be from you. When you finish praying that, no rush. When you finish praying that, just look back up at me so I can tell that you're done. Awesome. God says that you are now completely justified. If you meant that, you gave him your life, then he keeps his end of the promise. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from every wrong. You get adopted into a family tonight. He now sees you as holy, even though everything's not going to be perfect. And he will start with your partnership 
to work with you as you yield more and more of your life. When he says, whether you come to a fork of the road and you could do this or you could do that, and he's like, yeah, I think we should do this. When you yield to that, he molds you to be more and more like who he created you to be in the first place. Now that he's gotten sin out of the way and the penalty of sin is gone, he's going to start to work on the power of sin that it had over you and move that out of the way. So the rest of you guys who are here, I want you to celebrate with them by looking up and seeing who's made a decision, which I think is awesome. If you're friends with one of these or you need to become friends with one of these guys or girls, um, you can help encourage them. You can help ask them about what, what led you to this point in your journey that you wanted to turn it all over to Jesus tonight. So congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. I think that's awesome. You're part of one family. You guys can have a seat. So cool. So cool. It's our job as the church, especially the ones you, you guys all happen to be from one church, one family and one church now. Um, follow up. You've got you've to help them as they start to grow because Satan has a follow-up plan and it's horrible for you. Um, but God has an awesome one. Second part real quick, because I'd like to pray for you. If there's somebody here, and there may be a few of you here, who'd say, you know what? I've got this. I've given my life to Jesus. I've been justified, and I kind of like that. I kind of even like calling him my dad, you know? But over here, somewhere in this gift, maybe I didn't even know that God sees me as holy. Maybe I think to myself all the time, you know, God, you probably don't think much of me because I keep messing up. That's not true. He loves you, and he sees you as holy. But he would also like to experience what it is like to get free from the power that sin has over us on a daily basis, that fleshly nature that keeps trying to do stuff. And somewhere along the line, we have done some things or we hold on to areas of our life or we started going back to some of those water bottles of different things. And those are holding us back from being who God wants us to be. And we want to say tonight by standing, we want to say, no more, God, I want you to change me in a way that others can see me can see you through me. If that's you, just stand to your feet. I'm not going to count or anything. We're not going to close our eyes. I just want to pray for you. If you'd say, I want God to keep making me more and more like him, and currently that's not happening, I need that to happen. All right. Let me pray for you guys. And you can pray right where you're at too. Just tell God, man, I'm in. I'm in for the rest of the gift. I want to reach down in the bag and find out what you have for me, the rest of the stuff that you have for me. I don't just want to be like, ooh, I'm justified. I want all of it. I want all of you. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for these teens, for their honesty. Lord, you can do so much with somebody 100% yielded to you, Lord, and there are areas of our life that we're constantly pulling back at. We're constantly running ourselves without giving you lordship over. Tonight, I pray that those areas would be let go of, that as students go into their small groups, that they'd even be able to pinpoint some of these areas to say, here's why I wasn't embracing progressive sanctification and really getting it, why I wasn't allowing God to actually give me some victory over certain areas of my life. God, I pray that you would be with us as we have these discussions, that you'd be with these students as they go back to their homes tomorrow, Lord, even though we got one more session, Lord, as they go back home tomorrow, Lord, I pray that you would make them victorious and that we would no longer fight for victory, but we would fight from a position of victory, knowing that you have already done everything possible to free us, to make us whole, and to give us victory over sin. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed to your small groups. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. 
Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.